0: back to another episode of the Status Alternative Podcast. My name is Brittany, and on today's episode, I will be talking about the big four of grunge. So it's been said that grunge in Seattle made it big, but most of the commercial success went mainly to four bands, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. That was a quote from an article by Northwest Passage. So In a previous episode, I talked about this genre before and why I loved it, but now I talk about the four bands that rose above the rest and stood out in a significant music time. It must be said, though, I recommend reading Mark Yarm's book, Everybody Loves Our Town, An Oral History of Grunge, which came out in 2012. Now let's talk about some bands. I have to say Nirvana, out of all these bands, would be the most popular and the closest, I would say, on the level of Metallica compared to the Big Four of Thrash. Um, So, throughout this episode, I'm going to be making comparisons of the Big Four of Thrash. So, for those of you who don't know who the Big Four of Thrash are, the Big Four of Thrash or the Big Four of Thrash Metal are Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, and Megadeth. So, these, like, four bands that kind of rose up during the 1980s, during that whole Thrash Metal scene, and became like some of the biggest bands to inspire a new generation of metal music and metal heads. The same can be said for the Big Four of Punk. Um, I know two of the bands of the Big Four of Punk, but um, I'm probably going to do that episode later. But the Big Four of Grunge consists of Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. Now, like the Big Four of of Thrash Metal, um, there is another sector of bands that you could say are honorary members that you could place into that uh for the big four of grunge you could say mother love bone screaming trees mud honey the melvins you can add a bevy of those bands in for the like rotating spot of the big four of grunge so nirvana rose to prominence with their second album Nevermind, in 1991 they had two other albums bleach which came out in 1989 and in utero which came out in 1993. The band consisted of Kurt Cobain on lead guitar and vocals, Chris Novoselic on bass. They had five other drummers, Aaron Burkhart, Dale Crover, Dave Foster, Chad Channing, and Dan Peters, before settling on Dave Grawl as their last and final drummer. And one other rhythm guitarist, Jason Everman, before Pat Smear joined on the rhythm guitar from 1993 to 1994 the band was active from 1987 to 1994. So so my history with Nirvana was that they were the first band that got me into rock. I talked about this in my previous episodes why I love grunge as well as why I um, or how I got into hard rock and heavy metal music. Um, and they became the band I was fully invested in when deep diving into this genre there was just something extraordinary and punk about them and their legacy going on to be one of the most influential bands is something to be admired, in my opinion. So, after my initial love for Nirvana stayed for a bit, I was looking to, like, change my music taste a little bit, so I ventured off into the next big band. Uh, I started to get into Pearl Jam. So, um, if I were to compare Pearl Jam to one of the big four of Thrash, I'd compare them to Megadeth. Pro Jam consisted of Jeff Amett on bass, Stone Gossard on rhythm and lead guitar, Mike McCready on lead guitar, Eddie Vedder on vocals, and four other drummers, Dave Cruzan, Matt Chamberlain, Dave Abruzzi, and Jack Irons before setting their sights on Matt Cameron when he joined in 1998. Since their inception in 1990, un- under another band name, Mookie Baylock, they have released 11 albums there, there were three reasons why I got into this band. Their biography film Pro Jam 20 came out in like 2011. So this is right, like my junior year. So right was right around the time when I was still, you know, developing my um, taste for music and developing my ear for like what it is that I was interested in listening to. So that came out in perfect timing. And it had been like 20 years since like 10 came out so it had been 20 years since a lot of these band, a lot of these um uh albums started to come out uh and their first album 10 which i've mentioned and the alive music video were the three reasons why i got into this band so the album the documentary film and the alive music video that i kept watching on youtube over and over and over again uh, i remember watching the trailer for the movie many times because i was just fascinated with um the way they use their song Given to Fly for the trailer and just the, the whole crescendo of the song just is a perfect, um, it's just a perfect way to lead into a trailer. It was something to be said about a band that had stayed together for 20 years and never broke up. Like, you don't really see that, like, often, especially in in rock music as a genre, as a whole because like you see different variations of bands like just recently a lot of the bands I've been listening to now or recently got into they've had a vocalist change they've had a bassist change they've had a drummer leave but for the past now going on more than 30 years almost 30 years as a band um, they've managed to stay together as a band with the core members being Jeff Amet Eddie Vedder, Stone Gossard, Mike McCready, and essentially you could say Matt Cameron because he is their lasting drummer. And the other drummers they had have changed out. Like they had like four other drummers before Matt Cameron joined in 1998, and it's been a steady lineup ever since. But it is something to be said about a guy, uh, about a band that just never, like, broke up. Like, the closest I would say to a band that never broke up or never replaced any members in this modern sense, I would have to say Alter Bridge. Because ever since, like, the whole essence of them growing out of the ashes of Creed, like, it's been a pretty solid lineup of the band. So, uh, from top to, uh, also, from top to bottom... 10 was just a fantastic album. It's so timeless. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this band was born from the ashes of Jeff Amet and Stone Gossard's previous band, Mother Love Bone. So they were a band before, and their lead singer, who happens to be the uh, roommate of Chris Cornell back in the day, Andy Wood, he untimely passed away. So I believe the way it went, Andy Wood passes away, Jeff and Stone get together and they decide to make a new band. Um, but in doing so, they also create another band called Temple of the Dog, which had Chris Cornell on vocals. The band was just, the band just released one album. I believe it's their self-titled. It was just that one album. They ended up having Eddie on the vocals for uh one They had Eddie Vedder on vocals for one of their most famous songs, Hunger Strike, featuring Chris Cornell also on vocals, which was- that music video was amazing. And then I want to say maybe soon after that, that's when Pearl Jam got started. Uh, Some of my favorite songs from uh, the album, 10, are Alive, Jeremy, and Black. And lastly, one of the- I was also into this band because I had a massive crush on, like, young Jeff Stone and Eddie- And uh, watching the music video, the Alive music video, I was just transfixed. So, like, that was one of the other reasons why I really got into this band. I thought they were super cute. So, moving on. After my interest in Pearl Jam waned and my taste in music started to get heavier, because, like, right around this time, let's see, 2011, I was, like, 2011, 2012. I was ending my high school years and going into college. And right around that time, that's when I started getting into bands like Hatebreed and Pantera and Parkway Drive and started getting into like a heavier metalcore um, sort of sound. Like, I started to get heavier in my taste for music. So the next progression of heavier bands, I have to say, out of these four bands has to be Alice in Chains. And you're probably thinking to yourself, how can you go from that sound to Alice in Chains? And let me explain. Had it not been for Alice in Chains, I would not be listening to bands like Breaking Benjamin, Seven Dust, Godsmack, which are bands that came out of that post-grunge era. Consisting of co-vocalists and lead guitarist Jerry Cantrell and the amazing Lane Staley, Sean Kinney on drums, the original bassist Mike Starr, later replaced by Mike Inez, and a new vocalist who joined in 2006, named William Devon, I believe. Four years after Lane Staley's passing, you have Allison Chains. So the band had six studio albums. Every chance I get, I will always say these guys are the godfathers of alternative metal. And I stand by that statement. The way Tina Bell is the godmother of grunge. And it's highly, and she's very highly underrated. She is the one that was the forefront of this movement. I dub Alice in Chains the forefathers of alternative metal. Because like I said before, these guys were at the forefront of influencing that heavier sound in a 7-Dust. Because I know Seether is very heavily influenced by Nirvana, but bands like 7-Dust, Stained, Puddle of Mud, those guys heavily 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 influenced by allison in chains and nirvana but a lot of these bands now so each of these bands did influence many bands that came out of that post-grunge era that post that early 2000s era of music but in my opinion none more than allison chains sure the other bands had heavy songs but allison chains had an unmatched attitude and moxie i would compare them to slayer they are like a fan favorite so they're kind of like the way there are Slayer fans who are, like, diehard Slayer fans, I believe there are diehard Alice in Chains fans. There there was just something about Lane's vocals that was so powerful and so memorable. Like, he, like, it, it surprises me, and I kind of compare it to Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilot. It amazes me how that heavy, deep, powerful voice can come out of a body like that And just captivate an audience. Like, Chester Bennington had the same exact, like, presence when it came to being a vocalist. And especially for Lane on songs like uh, Man in a Box, Bleed the Freak, Love Hate Love, Rooster, and Damn That River. And yes, I did also have a crush on Young Jerry Cantrell and Mike Starr. So, last but certainly not least, we have the anthrax of these bands. And that's Soundgarden. So they're a little bit underrated, not to be, like, looked over. It's just, you kind of, Soundgarden, I don't believe, gets enough credit with doing things a little bit differently. And I feel that's one of the reasons why Anthrax is so good. They did things differently. So I will admit, I believe the reason I didn't get into this band was that my music taste had significantly changed. So by this time, let's see, I'm already... I will admit, I believe the reason I didn't get into this band was that my music taste had significantly changed. So by this point, um, I was fully invested in metalcore and hardcore. Like, you couldn't tell me otherwise. I wasn't going backwards with the music that I was originally listening to. I just went forward in a different direction. Uh, I had left grunge music behind at this point. I wouldn't get back into them until after the death of Chris Cornell in 2017. Uh, The band was made up of Chris Cornell on vocals, Kim Thayil on lead guitar, Hiro Yamato on bass from 1984 to 1989, Jason Everman, who was also in Nirvana as their rhythm guitarist, Jason Everman was on bass from 1989 to 1990, and their final bassist, Ben Shepard. And drummer Scott Sundquist from 1985 to 1986. And their last drummer, Matt Cameron, who also plays drums for Pearl Jam. So he was doing uh, Double Duty. I know I talked about Lane's vocals, but there is something to say about Chris's vocals. His vocal range was wild and powerful and undoubtedly unique amongst the singers of these bands. Because... His sound, all of their sounds were different and I think that's what makes these guys so prevalent was that it was different sounds. They were talking about different things and they just all were just had these different attitudes and Chris's vocals was just so out there. They had six studio albums, my favorites being Bad Finger, and Super Unknown, which is their more popular album. When reading the book, Everybody Loves Our Town, this one makes me laugh. I remember reading the stories and interviews about how much of a heartthrob Cornell was and how some fans in those circles didn't take Chris and Soundgarden seriously because he was so attractive. Like, you're talking about, like, this whole scene that this genre was built on was built around these people that look like they haven't showered in three days. Meanwhile, you have Chris Cornell with his light eyes and long black hair and, like, his amazing physique, and he's out here, like... Like, (laughs) I think it was because, like, they didn't really get that much street cred was because, like, they kind of were like, oh, man, the glam metal scene is over already, yet you got this attractive-looking dude. Like, the rest of these dudes are just ugly, like... Why is, it, like, I, I get how, like, a lot of people could, like, see it as, like, oh, man, what's this pretty boy doing up here? And he's has this, like, amazing vocals, and he was just the total package. So, in closing, the thing that makes these bands also interesting to me is hearing about how the popularity of this genre was, was all created by the music industry. Like, if you go read the um 10 Harsh Truths or the 10 Ugly Truths, um, that, um, uh, if you go read the online article by Northwest Passage about the 10 ugly truths of grunge music, you'll hear all these stories and how, and especially they emphasize this in Mark Yarm's book. Um, the fact that like this genre wasn't really something that was built from something organically. This was just a bunch of people who really loved playing music and just played music with their friends. Hence why a lot of these former bands' members ended up in different bands because they would just all play music together. So a lot of these bands didn't really expect to become famous or successful. Like, that was the last thing on their minds. Like, I don't think, like, Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder, Lane Staley, and, like... Like, I don't... Chris Cornell, I don't think, like, you tap them on the shoulder and you say, hey, you know, in about a couple of years, you're going to be on, like, MTV and you're going to play MTV Unplugged. Or I don't think Alice in Chains one day woke up, the guys in Alice in Chains one day wakes up and just, like, realizes, oh, shit, we're going on tour with Slayer and people are going to throw mud at us and we're going to throw mud and like, and just, like, Tell them no. We're born to be here. We were meant to be here. We deserve to be here just as much as they do, and they will go on to have lasting friendships with guys in Pantera. Like I don't think, like Soundgarden goes on and thinks, oh, our music is gonna be in a movie. You know, like a lot of these, a lot of these guys, men and women who are in the scene didn't really see like, oh our whole scene and this whole genre, and, and in my research, like, they even talk about, this wasn't much of a scene. This was just a bunch of people who just wanted to play music with their friends, and then, like, the industry came in, and the music business came in, and wanted to chase the next big thing because grunge, not grunge, because glam metal and thrash metal were, like, yesterday's news, so let's go on to the new trend, and it's this music. And then after that, It was new metal, and then after that, it's mostly been just alternative metal, and then Slipknot came, and then Linkin Park came, and then the rest is history. So, um, they were... So, these guys, according to the book and other interviews, I don't think they wanted or were interested in in fame or being famous. They rebelled and often criticized the supposed trend this was becoming. So, it's kind of ironic how... The very thing that they didn't want to be, and it ends up happening anyway, despite their despite their apprehension about the whole thing. So this genre was often referred to as the genre that killed metal in the 90s. And what I find ironic is that these guys just wanted to play music. Like, they weren't really concerned about, oh, like, they killed the whole genre, or everybody hated it. The- like, the metalheads of the 90s really hated this genre, But these guys really weren't, they didn't care. They just wanted to play music. So who would have guessed this music's impact on an entire decade? Like, but then again, you never know what the future holds when you're in your early 20s and playing music with your friends. The next thing you know, it's almost 30 years later and now you're selling out Madison Square Garden. But there is a downside and tragic reality of these four bands. Only two are still active, and only one of the original vocalists is still alive. Kirk Cobain passed away in nineteen ninety four at the age of twenty seven. Lane Staley passed away in two thousand two at the age of thirty four, and Chris Cornell passed away in two thousand seventeen at the age of fifty two. Only Pearl Jam and Allison Chain still tour, but I don't want to. But I don't want to leave you with a downer. Doctor Seuss once said, "Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened." I wasn't even old enough to enjoy this music when it came out, and by the time I could enjoy it, it had already been 20 years. But that never stopped me from discovering it, making friends who also enjoyed it, and having so many great memories with it. That is something I will always hang my hat on. So, that brings us to the end of this podcast episode. Uh, I do have a question at the end for my Spotify listeners as well. You can also contribute to this podcast if you also wish. You can follow me on Twitter at status alternate one without the E. That is status alternate one without the E. You can follow me on Instagram at roll underscore martyr underscore X. You can follow me on Tumblr at Roll Martyr X, but without the with a four instead of an A for Roll Martyr X. All my social medias are in the bottom or in the description of this episode. And I will catch you all in the next episode. And remember, stay alternative.